This week's episode is brought to you by Tim Peel. If you want a hockey game with inexplicable shenanigans, penalties that don't make sense, and physicality that eventually gets out of control, look no further. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway! McKinnon, pure guts! <laughs> they got nothing but guts! Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass, and look at the patient, my goodness. Guts all over the place, I can't believe it. And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for December 10th, 2018. Coming up on the show, the Colorado Avalanche hit the road, pick up a couple, and hit the wall. Plus, a disaster week for a couple of Avs players, and we try to make sense of the Badner Blender. But before we blow the whoosh, let's hit our disembodied voices up for the week. Hello, as usual, to Earl of Six. Hello, friends. And hello, as usual, to Tiger Vixen. How are you? Bonjour. I'm hanging in there. And it's just the three of us again this week. All the way back on Sunday, Avs win 2-0 over Detroit Red Wings team that was never really in this game and never really looked threatening, which is maybe why they went full scum. Simeon Varlamov records the shoot the shutout, not the shootout, the shutout. Your goal scored by Nathan McKinnon and Gabe Landeskog, no points outside the top line here. But all anybody wants to talk about from this game is Tyler Goddamn Bertuzzi fighting after a clean hit, Anthony Manta jumping Patrick Nemeth after Dylan Larkin put himself in a weird spot, and then the whole Red Wings bench grabbing Matt Calvert's stick. And when they wouldn't give it back, he took exception. Imagine that. And got held down by Larkin and sucker punched in the face by Tyler Goddamn Bertuzzi. Redacted the younger cops a two-game suspension for that. Nothing for Larkin. And of course, none of this was penalized on the ice, because you're looking at a Tim Peel joint. Does the time fit the crime? I turn to you. Um, yeah, that's about what I was expecting, so... I mean, it, the... The worst part of it is it never needed to happen. Like, if he had just called an instigator on Mantha with the Nemeth incident, I, I think that probably would have gotten everyone a little bit calmer. And we probably wouldn't have seen the, the whole Calvert thing. Um, but, you know, it he didn't. And I, I, I think the punishment fits the crime there. So the way that I look at it is kind of in comparison to when you leave the bench to start a fight which is an automatic 10-game suspension. Something's out of whack there. It's certainly a very bad look. And they, they had to do something. I I bet the league wouldn't even really want to punish that, except for yeah. you, you can't start sending the message that actions from the bench are going to get looked past. So I think that's why they even bothered. Yeah, I mean, Otherwise... I think they had to. Yeah, I think they had to do something publicly about it. But I mean, I think that's something that they probably wanted to talk to the Red Wings, especially, but probably every team about. Like, look, um, you know, we're we're not going to have any of this people on the bench getting involved with the play on the ice. I mean, did you have a problem with them grabbing the stick after he got hit by Mike Green? Like, yeah. for a second, that's fine, you know? Because, like, everybody does that. It's yeah. aha, you know, a little gamesmanship. But it's like, you know, there's a line and they crossed it by a lot. Yeah, when, when Calvert gives the real, like, the hard yank on the stick, you give it back and you laugh at him. Yeah. I, th- I think it was Rudo's video. I think he explained it pretty well. Like, the first guy that held it after the hit is, like, I'm sure that happens all the time. And then he let go. 
Right. And then it was when it went down to Larkin and Bertuzzi, and then they held it, and then they didn't let go. That's where the problem started. Yeah. And then, obviously, the, the sucker is a joke. Like, obviously, everyone agrees with that, but, I mean, Lark- yeah. Larkin holding his head down is a joke, too. Like, what are you doing, bud? It, yeah. it is. Like, it, it looked bad in real time, and it looked bad in the in the replay that we could see but then when the department of safety released their video and they used they had the better angles and the closer up that that looked terrible i mean they're they should be lucky that nothing serious happened to calvert i mean holding a guy down and then punching him that's straight up thuggery that's that's nothing having to do with hockey and then Riker found that angle where they smacked him in the head with a stick too <laughs> I didn't see that. That's yeah. That's great. So just... And it I mean maybe Bertuzzi doesn't care, but the whole a Bertuzzi sucker punches an avalanche you should be embarrassed. You should be embarrassed that that happens again. And that's what your legacy is and your family's yeah. legacy. Like do you need to do that? I get he pay, he plays like one of those shits that people People like it, you know, like the Kachuk thing, and he plays like a little shit, but it's something that every team kind of needs. But do you want that to be your family reputation, to be a thug? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to balance that with sort of your play on the ice, which Kachuk actually does. Um, So, I don't know. It's... You know, I, I hopefully the the league did more than what they did publicly about this situation because again, it's just something that you don't want to see become a thing. Yeah, the the Red Wings should be embarrassed, and I don't have the 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 hate for them like because it was so long ago or whatever. So I I really have no no idea how they would feel about something like that. I don't think they're like a despicable organization. But they should be embarrassed. It should have been something internally that they said, you know, that this is going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I could give a shit less about Detroit also at this point. Like, they're a, a bad hockey team that plays hockey like a bad hockey team, trying to desperately win whatever games they can. But, like, two games is a suspension for a hockey play gone wrong. This, this, was, this was not a hockey play by any stretch of the imagination. The, the only reason this wasn't assault is because it happened during a hockey game. Like, yeah. Um, but again, I I do think that they really didn't want to make a big deal out of it and then wanted this to go away pretty quickly because it's, you know, like you said, it's not, it's something that reflects poorly on the NHL as much as it reflects poorly on the Red Wings and the Tur- Bertuzzi. So yeah, they basically found the happy medium where it wasn't a story at all, but they sent the message it wasn't okay. Well, maybe. I, I'm i just not of the opinion that two games is even close to proportional to what happened. Like, you just... If you, if you, if you want the message to be you absolutely do not do this, then you don't penalize it the same way as an interference penalty. Which, um, yeah, but then you get into appeals and it just it drags on and just it keeps it out there. I mean, I, I mean, again, you can I, make should, it five. I think they, yeah, I just, I, I think they wanted to, you know, I think they wanted to dispose of it as quickly as possible because it's just, it, you know, it, 
other sports where you see the benches get involved become very ugly situations. Well, does when does the okay? So when the bench gets involved in a football game, that's usually before the game starts, and it's just kind of a circus. In baseball, they all just like make a big show of holding each other back. So, <laughs> so which sport are you talking about here? I'm I'm curious. They can have oh, brawls talking, in football. I'm talking about like Woody Hayes grabbing a player on the field and smashing him in the throat back in the '70s. Um, you know things like that that just you know the sport does not want as I, as part of their public persona. I would like to see kind of a an automatic if it's uh, something that happens on the bench, like automatic five games or something. I, I could see that where they could put their foot down a little firmer on something like that. But like Earl said, if you go more than five, then you start getting into the appeal process. And it's just. Yeah. And then, I mean, like, say if you say something point. like it's a match penalty for interfering with another player from the bench, like then you start getting into subjective calls by someone like Tim Peel and. <laughs> right like i like i've seen a guy get a penalty where he just has his he's holding his stick on the on the bench and he has maybe the blade turned out and then the other player like ran into it and that guy got a penalty and it's like oh geez come on so yeah i agree it could go the other way easily where it's like you you're on the bench and you touch the guy and you're out of the game yeah exactly you know it's just it's it's better just to scare people and tell them not to do it. Do it and hope that's. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, just think our... the answer for this, if, if that's the goal, is to scare it into going away. Is you make it an in-person hearing, and you make you don't make it more than five games. You make it five games, but you you call Bertuzzi into the NHL office and you say, "Look, dude. No, N O, no. Sit your five games. Eat your food." And, that's, and, and they that's may very it. well have done that along with just his two games. I mean, I, I would assume there was something more than just the two games. I, I you know, I, I really do think that the NHL probably made a point to impress. Well, yeah, I would have liked to have heard that conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> both ways. Like, can you walk me through what you were thinking at this point during the swing? Because right, it has nothing to do with hockey. There was nothing about a hockey play in there, trying to get the puck, trying to get a scoring chance, nothing. It started off as messing with a guy on the bench, ha ha ha, and escalated very quickly into something else. So, I, I think what you're saying about the NHL just wanting this to go away is probably right. I think that's probably yeah. the right angle to think of this from. Because two games, I mean, we're like, okay, they did something. Right. And any more than that, we're not sitting around going, oh, wow, they threw the book at him. But, like, it's, right. I just see a big discrepancy here between, you know, attacking a player who's on the ice from the bench versus making a line change to come on and start an otherwise clean fight. Like, what? one of yeah. those is ten games, and in my opinion, it's the wrong one. Yeah, yep. I agree with you. 
So let's move on to Tuesday when the Avs roll into Pittsburgh and play kind of a mirror game to the one they won over the Penguins not long ago, falling behind 3 to nothing early, tying it up on goals from Tyson Berry in his first game back from injury. Well done there. Carl Soderberg and Matt Nieto, and then eventually losing 6-3. to Colorado controlled the shot tally in this one all game long, but wasn't able to beat the Penguins' no-name goalie enough times to make it count. And I don't really remember this game well, so... I'm, I'm going to move on if y'all don't have anything to add. It was just so spooky how it was the exact opposite, like you said, the mirror game, the exact opposite of the game against them it in Denver. It was the bizarro world of that game, yeah. It was. The 3 nothing lead, tie it 3-3, then end 6-3. That's, you couldn't try that if you wanted to. And, and, and then, penguins it, in both of them. And then a natural hat trick by the penguins in both of them. It could have been more the same if instead of three random abs, it had been a Nathan McKinnon hat trick. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Patrick Hornquist is just like, he leaves Nashville and he still won't stop with the goals. Yeah. Leave Colorado that, that alone, Patrick. wasn't as much as a surprise as maybe we'd like it to be. Um... You know, one one thing that I took away from this, and it was some foreshadowing for one of our later games, was that Ian Cole was on the ice for five out of the six goals. And, you know, I mean, some of that's random, but it, you know, it, it was a pattern that started and then continued later on in the week. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about that later, but it... It was it, it was definitely pro, it was definitely his most disappointing game of the season to that point. Yeah, and for sure, and we will for sure get there. Then on Thursday, the Avs head south to a sleepy Florida Panthers rink and come out with a strong five-two win. Miko Ranton and JT Comfer, Nieto Landeskog, and Soderberg shorthanded are your goals here. And again, Colorado shot totals keep up with an opponent they never trailed. You know, we've whined a lot about shot rates and shot generation, both here and elsewhere. Maybe me more than than most other people, but honestly, lately the Avalanche have really done a better job of creating while they have the puck. And yeah, they have. Th it's very rare now that you see. I mean, unless they're in the third period turtle, very rare now that you see that period with a single digit shot total. Like they're getting, like they had ten to eighteen shots in in a period here, like. They're doing well. Yeah. It, it's been a good stretch. I don't know if I'm ready to quite say they've solved it, but it is good to see them in this in the 60s for a game. And like you said, in a game that they were winning. And um, it's just hope they've figured it out. I think, I think a little bit of it is circumstantial, but I also think they're trying to shoot more, which they should. One thing I've but, also noticed is that it kind of coincides with the return of JT Confer is when the shot total started coming back to coming back to life. And that's that's not to say that one guy is responsible for it all. It just goes to show for me kind of how important JT Confer is to the makeup of the Avs forward line. It is. And, and and another thing is we've seen sort of when when Bednar and Pratt and the whole staff are trying to suppress chances against they tend to suppress everything <clears throat> and sort of the magic bullet we've been looking for is a way to suppress quality against and shots against without really stifling their own offense 
Um, the Red Wings game was a really slow paced game, but other than that, they've had pretty high paced games. Like the um, the Penguins game was 137 shots per hour, both teams combined, and that's at 5v5. That's a really insane pace. Um, but the other games, you know, they they're not down you know, below 100 shots per hour, kind of like they you know, they, they tended to do a lot earlier in the season. Finally, on Saturday, the Avs stumbled into Tampa Bay and never really belonged in the game. They got run out of the rink to the tune of a Brazil 7-1 the final. Your lone goal just enough to keep McKinnon on the goal sheet and Rantanen's point streak alive. Varley gets yanked and Grubauer isn't better. Also, Vlad Kamenev takes an injury. Burn the tape. Never speak of this game again. Especially if you're Ian Cole, who's had a week. You know, it's it's easy to lay the blame on him just because he was on ice for a lot of the goals this week. But um, it, it's really hard to say, like, okay, this guy is just awful this week and, and he's really bringing the whole team down. I mean, it's I, I think that's more of a symptom. Um, part of it is I think that he's being overplayed. And, you know, I, I wrote today that you, you can't play him as if he was a number one defenseman. It's like you, you don't find a number one defenseman on the open market for four and a quarter million dollars a year during free agency. You know, you've got to realize that he's got limitations. He's going to do very well for you if you keep him within the parameters in which he, he plays well. <clears throat> but it's like a overplaying him you start getting situations like this where he's on the ice for five out of six six out of seven goals during a game and you know you're not helping the team by doing that you can play him that much temporarily in a time of great need for example your sixth defender is mark alt and your eric johnson just got tossed out of the game for hitting alex steen correct but when you're doing it by choice Cole's bad game coincides with what else, or bad week coincides. Oh, I know. What else happened this week? I know. Tyson Berry came back. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And Berry was also on the ice for seven out of the goals in those two games. And, um, You know, I I mean, can you guys put your finger on something either anecdotally or statistically that, you know, you you can say, aha, this is what's going on, other than they're being overplayed? I just just think think it's a perfect storm. Go ahead. I think it's a perfect storm. Go ahead. Barry's tough to play with, and I think if you're going to play, if Barry and Cole are going to work, they both have to play well. It was like Barry wasn't playing well earlier in the the beginning of the year, and that pairing was not good. And then when Barry started to kind of find his game and Cole was still pretty solid, then that was a good pair before Barry got injured. Then he comes back. I don't know if it's an adjustment. I don't know if Cole got used to playing with Zadorov. It it's just because those two kind of like when it's going bad they both make each other worse. It's just the kind of the nonchalant hero plays that that's kind of 
how they got in trouble this week. Cole making these really stupid passes in the Pittsburgh game. And then the game last night, it was just like, just terrible coverage. And yeah, it's like, you know, he had a bad pinch last night. He (laughs) left the Royal road wide open a couple times, didn't cover his man in front. So, I mean, it's like, it's, it's easy to say like, aha, Barry's back and that's why he's playing badly. But, you know, it, it looks to me more like he's bringing Barry down at certain times this week. And I do feel yeah. like it, Cole was worse than Barry, but I don't think Barry helped. Like, it's Barry's not a partner that can bail the other one out. Yeah. So when when one side goes bad, it's just the whole the whole thing goes bad. So, yeah, he's having to readjust to playing with Tyson Berry. That's definitely one part of it, and that can kind of help explain maybe some of the what-in-the-world-was-that-pass kind of situations. Um, But also, generally, I definitely think you're right that Cole has been worse than Berry this week. And what it really comes down to is, so there's a little bit of the adjustment, there's a little bit of every once in a while you play bad for a few games, you're going to have that. And there's also that every time Ian Cole makes a mistake, it's hitting up in the back of the net. Yeah. Cole and Barry over their last 10 Avalanche games have like easily the lowest on ice save percentage. So like this is something that's not likely to continue unless you keep creating dangerous chances the other way. But even then, like every mistake is going in the back of the net right now. But if you're playing so bad, don't you kind of create bad save percentage? In the short term, maybe. In the long term, that's not a thing. I mean, I can I can see if there is something that's going on with you know, like last night we saw the Royal Road, which is the the middle of the ice in the defensive zone. We saw at least three passes get through there very easily. Open for business. And that's you know that's that's something that would kill the system that they're trying to play. So, I mean, their their system is basically predicated on making sure those pass those kinds of passes don't get through, and that's how you limit quality against. And anything else, you're just sort of taking things as they come. So, I also, I also feel like overconfidence was maybe a little bit of a thing. I think the team in general maybe needed to get humbled, or at least by the Tampa game. That's, I, a, that's I, just altitude. <laughs> yeah but yeah. you know like it was it was cole's big game back in pittsburgh and they he had beat them the previous week and i don't know i i think that's where some of the kind of the the nonchalance comes in yeah i mean very hopefully that way and and i mean extend that to the rest of the team not starting on time or at all last night um you know the 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 narratives in the pregame were all about the president's trophy and how this was <laughs> a possible Stanley Cup final preview and um you know I, I I just I I really didn't like that narrative that they were taking on altitude and it's like you know I, I you know I understand being excited about the team and you know it's like they're playing well and they really haven't played this well in a long time but. You know, it's been a couple weeks now, and they keep making like Forsberg and Sackett comparisons <laughs> to the top line and, and things like that. And 
it's that all or nothing and it causes people to lose perspective and yeah. i also agree like they're they're the state media they're supposed to hype things up but it's just like yeah. y- you have to be able also to deliver some proper context to your audience you can't just go full homer sunshine about everything like this team still has a long way to go like you have to remember they haven't even won a playoff round let's do that first before we start talking about like windows and going for it and and president's trophy and all these things like let's just be a good team consistently let's let's not let's go beyond the bubble and not even have to worry about that and know that we're a playoff team the whole year. If we can do even that is like a step forward. Like let's just one step at a time here, people. I I think a degree of humility would be nice to see. You you just can't (laughs) talk president's trophy. The avalanche are eight points behind in the president's trophy race to (laughs) Tampa Bay who have six points on everybody. But if they won, (laughs) (laughs) It's it's even a miracle that they're even even in the neighborhood with Nashville and talking about winning the division. Like even that's kind of lofty at this point. It, it's possible, but that's kind of like the highest level of how far ahead we should be looking here. Yeah, I just you know I I I love getting the the fans stoked up about you know this team's actually good for the first time in a while, but it just but then it's unfair because then that's what you're expecting, and you have to do what Forsberg and Sackett did. You, you have right. to win the cup. Like if you don't at least go to the Western Conference Finals, like what are you setting people up for? They don't get it that it's it's still a process. It's still you're not just going to buy a championship by getting a few dudes at at the deadline. You know, like the, <laughs> it's it's not easy, folks. We're yeah, not there I mean, yet. You can be it, good without being great. Sure. That, and, I think that's you know, the take home be, here. You can be exuberant without being irrationally exuberant. <laughs> like right now, are the Avalanche good? Yes. Are the Avalanche great? No. And, and that's, that's okay. That's, hey, and that, there's that's, a lot to enjoy with that. That's definitely okay. This team hasn't been good in a really long time. So, I will take good, because <laughs> historically bad isn't that far back in the memory hole. Um, obviously, great is the goal, and you you work to get to great, but confusing good with great is how you throw great away. Like, it's, it's how you throw good away, because you think yeah, you're better pretty than much. you are. Yeah, absolutely. It's also nice to cherish each win. Like it's like, oh boy, we won the game. That's really cool. Rather than, well, we should have beat those guys. I mean, that's no fun. Um, it it's just kind of weird how it's just like, yeah, we definitely should have beat this bad team, and then you you take on the easily number one team in the league, and it's everyone's pulling their hair out because they got beat up on. Like, well, they beat up on everybody. So, and and it was the end of a trip. They probably were a bit tired. You know, the, those things go into it as well, but it, it also is just kind of like, you're not there yet. Right. Is, is what that game showed as well. So, this week also saw some instability in the forward lines as Bender's kind of tried to get stuff going. It's not just been 
flux on the back end. We've seen JT Comfer score in Florida on a shift next to Mac and Miko. We've seen Alexander Kerfoot, the fourth liner. It seems like the only constant we can rely on is Carl between Nieto and Calvert. And so... And even that line got shook up. And even that they line pull. got shook up. And there's going to be changes that are required to be made because what's going on with Kamenev? <clears throat> he could be dead. But, like, this was part of the game that I didn't see, so what happened? It looked pretty similar to what happened last year, just maybe not as violent. So... Well, I mean, he was coming out of... It was coming out of the ab zone, and he turned around, and it, it, he raised both his arms. Like he, I don't know if he was trying to catch a puck or something like that. I think but that's that his left. natural instinct when he's going to, like, to protect himself when he's going to get hit, and it's like, it ends up, that's what ends up hurting him. That's a bad it's instinct. It's like when he put, puts his arms up. Yeah, I think, not that I see him do it a lot, but I think it's... No, it's he, had his he had his arms, like, way over his head. He was definitely trying to do something up high. But, I think I he mean, was surprised, then, though, because he was turned around, and kind of when he turned, the guy was right there, and I think it surprised him. He was making Home Alone face? I don't know. No. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, he got smashed into on his ribs, and he kind of twisted at the same time, and then landed funny on the ice. So it's like, one of those three things was what injured him. So it, you know, it could be anything. It's probably like his right arm, wrist. Just hopefully, yeah. it's not as bad not as last same. year. Well, it's it not was. The same it wasn't army broke. So. No, it, it wasn't that violent. So it wasn't that hard of a hit like when he got hit last year. But we don't, um, we, don't we, we don't have a camera angle of him having an extra elbow again, right? No. But no, it wasn't probably... that kind of hit. Like he either he, he either got smacked into and broke some ribs or something like that or he fell on the ice and hurt I don't think it's either like that because or he fell he more could on have his twisted left. yeah he could have twisted his wrist as well he fell more on his left side so yeah. if that wasn't and then when he got up he was definitely more like holding his right arm so I think it was more the hit so at this at this point playing complete psychic doctor here he probably did something to his right wrist or arm, but if it's just broken or something and he could come back in four, six, eight weeks, that'd be great. If if it's like last year's injury, then we might never see him again. <laughs> Ever. And I'm not kidding either. So this obviously means that we're gonna, we're going to find room for both Bork and Andrew Ghetto in the lineup, which has been kind of an every other night sort of situation. Um, it's also going to make space for a call up. Their go to this season so far has been Sheldon Dries, who is injured. Bum bum bum. Maybe what? he's not. He was injured the past two weekends, but. Um... You know, maybe maybe he's better and they call him up. But, you know, A.J. Greer is the one guy down there that is over a point per game. Had a he's... goal and assist this weekend once again. So, you know, he would be the logical choice. Yeah, it's his time. He, he seriously does something every single game to score and, and make a difference. 
it's not like garbage time stuff. It's not like he gets three or four points in like one garbage time game. It's well, consistently he did have an goal. that that was a pretty awesome empty net goal. So anyway, if if they're ever going to give him a chance, like an actual, let's see if you can be an NHL player for us chance, it would have to be now. And because what would you expect them they, to do with him? Exactly what they did. We're doing with Kamenev. Give him the exact same opportunity. Don't don't change what you're willing to do because Kamenev's out. Now you have an opportunity to give that opportunity to another actual prospect. What do you expect they're going to do? Um, if you have any faith at all that they have any interest in developing any internal players, then maybe my optimistic side, and I do have one, says that, that they will do exactly that. If, You're going to need another forward. So if he's there, you might as well commit to doing something with him. I guess they could go for dries, but with him not having played the last three games, it's that would be like a tough one because we don't even know because he hasn't played, so you're not going to put him right in the NHL, and there's really no other choice. Yeah, I would say like if if ju- World Juniors weren't coming up like imminently, you might think about Cout because he's really kind of stepped up lately as well. I would um, like to see that first. Yeah, I mean right now because he's going to get ready to to leave soon but I still feel like you need to reward him at some point and understand that it's going to be a short term thing maybe do it for a trip or a homestand <laughs> but that's something that they need to do as well imagine a homestand yeah. I know but they're they're coming we have a one game homestand this week <laughs> they're about to play four home games in a row, but one of them is a back tra- back-to-back travel against a rested team waiting on them, and the other is the first game of a back-to-back. It's a Thanks. really pretty terrible schedule coming up, but we'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure. Um, so th- they've obviously called up AJ Greer before this season and did not play him. Well, that's when they were still trying to pretend like they were going to do something with Dano. So now that that's out of the way, they really have no excuse to not give him the same opportunity. It's that, and also over the past, you know, I, I don't think when he was called up, you really had a big enough sample size to say, like, all right, I can trust this guy in these situations. But, it, you know, now you have a large sample size of A, him scoring, and B, him being an effective penalty kill and and defensive zone, you know, defender and breakout guy. So, um, you know, I, I think you're you're pretty sure what you have with Greer at this point enough that, you know, you're, you're sure that he knows what to do in the system. Well, Greer's not worse than Kamenev. That's the other thing. They're different players, certainly, but it's not like you're you're losing a whole bunch because you're going to give Greer that opportunity. I mean, other than he can't play center, yeah. Right. Well, the but they were playing Kamenev at center anyway. Wing. Yeah, they've been putting centers at the wing all year. Um, what, what my lack of optimism here comes from is really just that they've had A.J. Greer on their roster before and refused to even give him five minutes of ice time. And they're not in a situation where they need another body on the NHL ice right now. They need a body well, on the roster, but they've got 
enough healthy skaters, they don't have to play a guy. Well, that's the thing. If you're going to call a young guy up, you don't want him to sit. But but I agree. They could just play Bork instead and, and call it good. Like, they might even just say for Tuesday's game, they don't need anybody. They have 12 forwards that they can play. But they are going to, especially with how the schedule is coming, with the six games and nine nights with two back-to-backs, you need to have that 13th forward. And you need to play them. Yeah, plus the... The Eagles are going on the road um, tomorrow, so right. So they should just make the call up, like spend the five thousand dollars and get the guy in a practice and put him on the roster, which has not happened at this point. So, so we'll see. But, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. With the Eagles, they're going on the road this week. You can't just play the. We'll call the guy up when we absolutely need him. Because yeah, it'd be pretty lame to make him fly to the West Coast and then just fly back because you wouldn't spend the $5,000 in cap space to put him on the roster. I mean, I could see calling him up after the two, you know, they play against, you know, the Avs play against the Oilers. and the, Right, the but then he's still him, so. away. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's just. This is their test. This is really like one of those moments where it is going to be a test to see what they want to do with their depth, like their internal depth and what they're wanted, what they're willing to do to actually develop an internal uh, candidate. And this doesn't really seem like one of those situations where maybe by the time you listen to the show, we'll be, it'll be like, Oh, well, Kamina turns out to actually be fine. I mean, there's just no way he's going to be fine. I mean, he might not be completely dead, but there's just no way he's not going to miss time. Like, even Bedner admitted in the press conference that he's hurt. So, if Bedner even admitted he was hurt, then he's hurt. He didn't say he hasn't talked to the trainer. He says he's hurt. I don't know how bad yet. Yeah. Which says you're waiting on results from an x-ray or an MRI or something to me. Yeah, well, and in the second he's... period, so they knew, <clears throat> you know... I'm sure there was time for the coach to talk to somebody about it in second intermission. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure they know. Like if it's someone like McKinnon, he gets it in his ear. Like he'll know immediately what happened to that guy. But it's like Kamenev. Okay. Yeah. Maybe they wait till the intermission to tell him, but it's also like, it's not, but I get it. Bedner's not a doctor. So it's not his news to share. Really? Either the team will share it. That is if anybody, decides to ask him about injuries this week and um and then it may be the team because like pr has to basically have it approved first he's not allowed to talk out of turn is why all that bullshit happens very lame but with uh with the whole nhl and gambling stuff going on maybe we'll start to get more detailed injury reports sooner than later So, that's kind of the final takeaway of a game that you'd really like to just forget about. You you kind of can't, because it does kind of have implications to your roster, because somebody did kind of get broken. But, it, it was uh, not the first time that Kamenev has taken an, a clearly upper body injury, and hopefully it, uh, hopefully he can rehab it a little quicker than the last one. So, at the end of the For day, sure. this was a four-game swing through... Clubs of varying strength. Are you happy with a 500 result? Yeah. 
that's about what I expected out of this trip, so... Um, I think I said six points, but yeah, it's... Playing 500 at certain points is fine. Like, that won't lose you any ground. And, and plus, it's tough to have a four-game road trip, and you just kind of wish that maybe they would have beat one of the <clears throat> two better teams. I know Pittsburgh still doesn't look that great on paper, but I think they're they're not going to languish all year. I but figured Pittsburgh was a loss just because we had just beaten them. That too, yeah. Yeah. And then T- Tampa at home was always going to be tough. Yep. So they, they took care of business. They beat they definitely beat convincingly the teams they needed to. So, yeah, I, at the end of the day, even though the, the last game leaves a bad taste in your mouth, it's uh, it's definitely has been a successful week for them. I agree with both of you. I think I said five points because I saw a bad game potential in Florida. And those games go to overtime. But they... They pulled it out in regulation, which I'm always happy to see. Yeah. So then why don't we take a quick trip around the West, since nobody of consequence to the Avs plays tonight, Sunday, as we record this. Uh, Calgary do, but they've opened up a commanding lead atop of the Pacific Division somehow. So Nashville, Colorado, Winnipeg, and Dallas would all be second in that division. And those first three teams are all clumped up at 39 and 38 points, with a little bit of a wedge between them and Dallas, who have 35 Minnesota have fallen off a little, followed by St. Louis Louis and Chicago, the only team in the NHL without 10 wins yet, Chicago Blackhawks. Ouch. Any surprises this year? And where do you expect the Avalanche to end up when April comes around? You'd have to say Calgary's a bit of a surprise. Like I had no confidence that Bill Peters would go in there and, and actually make the team better. Um, they've always had that good on paper kind of roster, though. So right. it, I don't think it took a t- has taken a ton for them to get up there. I, I think it's shown that the Calgary's roster is, you know, it, it is better than you know they've shown in the past, and perhaps Carolina's wasn't really that good at all. So maybe Bill Peters is actually a decent coach. Which just pains me to say, but <laughs> maybe I, he is. I'd say for me, obviously St. Louis, Chicago, and L.A. in the bottom are a surprise. I think we all felt that a drop-off was coming. Maybe not after St. Louis won the offseason. <laughs> but... I, I um, always thought they were going to be terrible. Yeah, that... <laughs> They've got a lot of old thinking there. I didn't um, think they would be good, but I didn't think they would fall off this hard in St. Louis. No, it, it is certainly a surprise. And though those teams are by far in the bottom of the Western Conference. Uh, I will say that Vegas is back after everyone was like, haha, we knew it, you were good. And now they're pushing for a playoff spot again. Anaheim, I guess, is a surprise after they started so bad and they had all the injuries and... They're so terrible statistically. <laughs> yeah. Anaheim has a big time winning record with a minus 14 goal differential. Like that tells you you're yeah. winning one goal games and getting blown up. Otherwise that that's a team that ends up falling off later on. Yeah. And then they'll probably be replaced by Vegas. Cause they're the only team now that has a positive goal differential. 
That's but they're not... kind of gullying their way right now too. I still <laughs> think they're not terrible, but you know, Edmonton still Edmonton still mediocre. Vancouver had a hot start and then fell off, which is pretty understandable for having such a young roster. And Arizona is also the king of the overhyped children again, <laughs> as always. Um, Minnesota had a hot start and they felt they fell out too. It was a bit surprising when I looked at the standings that they've been pretty bad lately. So they're they're Jekyll and Hyde team. Well, Dubnik was incredible in the beginning of the year, and now he sucks. So, <laughs> as he goes, so doth the Wilds. I'll believe that. And I mean, I am surprised that the Avs are basically tied with Winnipeg and Nashville. That's I don't think anyone would have expected that. Maybe the expectation would would have been they they'd be around more where like Dallas is. Right. That six game win streak helped. But hopefully they can hold in there. As far as my predictions, I, I think I think they'll push for maybe that third playoff spot. It'd be nice if they just completely got out of the wild card in the bubble conversation. And if they were able to stay in that kind of third third position, maybe even second position in the division, I think that would that would be a really nice step for them. If Winnipeg's almost a surprise for me, just because I, I didn't think they'd be that, I, I didn't think they'd be as good as they were last year, but not for the reasons why they aren't as good now. And you know, I'd, <clears throat> they're a weird team. I I think they're really undercoached and kind of over goalied last year, and I I still think they have a capacity to not play well for fairly large stretches. Um, but they're, you know, they get hot, and it's, you know, I, w- I watched them play today, and they just destroyed the Flyers. Not that that's that tough to do, but, um, you know, you just you look at what they can do when they're really working well, and it's definitely impressive. I just, you know, I, I think they have some consistency issues all around their lineup. That, I was gonna uh, say that too. They're inconsistent. But they've got a lot of talent, and when it's all going in the same direction, they're really good. Yeah, and Patrick Line, like they're the stats community is starting to be like, this may be one of the, like this may be like the best shooter in the National Hockey League by a lot. Yeah. So, like we're talking on the kind of prime Alex Ovechkin level of just pure shoot and score. So definitely like that always leaves Winnipeg in that situation where they could randomly score four or five goals every game for a week and just run some points together. Like I, I see Colorado probably finishing in that third spot in the division and then having to go to Winnipeg four times in that, in a playoff series, (laughs) which that would be terrible. Yeah. Sounds awful. Um, but at the same time, like I don't see them, pushing hard enough to take that second spot because the like the end of the season is going to have much tougher opposition. And I also don't think that the first wild card spot is necessarily a good thing to accidentally fall into anymore because if Calgary is going to be decent, the Pacific is so bad, they're just going to beat up on them and run away with the conference title. 
because they get more games against the Pacific Division teams. So that that's yeah. going to leave the wild card one against Nashville. Son of a bitch. Well, and I'd, I'd rather you know, play Nashville in Calgary, honestly. I would too, and it, I don't think Nashville's been all that impressive lately. Um, they've had some really bad losses. Um, they got shut out by Arizona like 3 nothing or something like that. Um, you know, I, I get... I, you know, when I describe the Central be, to begin the year, it's like there's a lot of teams that look like they're very even and have very different strengths and weaknesses, and it, it's just really hard to handicap how that's going to play out over a whole season. Right. Um, I'd also know, like I, to I, see. I, the I don't want to be really confident about sticking the Avs in with Winnipeg and and Nashville, but it just I you know I, I think between those three teams. You know, and maybe someone like Dallas or Minnesota sneaks in there, um, you know, later in the year. But, you know, I just, I think out of those teams, it, it's going to be fairly random which team ends up overperforming enough to, to actually win the division. I would like to see the Avs beat Winnipeg, too, before we're really serious about them finishing ahead in, of them. In Winnipeg, yeah. Yeah, especially in Winnipeg. We'll we'll take one win first. Well, they'll get their first chance on January eighth, which you're going to be Sounds shocked balmy. to find out. That's the first game of a back to back. No way. And a road trip. <laughs> it's well, I mean, it's in Winnipeg, so yeah. Yeah, but the first game of a long road trip too. Yep, they go to Calgary the next day. Boy, that's. <laughs> That sounds like a fabulous back-to-back. I wonder how many players will get injured there. <laughs> might want to bring, might want to bring a full roster, guys. When you yeah. go, go on that old Canada trip. Yeah, don't step it up. Don't bring any injured scratches. <laughs> yeah, might that's... might have to suck it up and call a few guys up early. So let's go ahead and do our own stars and scratches. Um... On the star side, uh, let's let's let me go first, so I can just say, um, Carl Soderberg has been just a badass lately, and continued that this week, and he gets my star. Yeah, I don't know I... how they took one of those goals away from him the other night in Florida, but for me, he's always going to have two goals that night. <laughs> he's been really good this year. He has been. What is he on pace for? Twenty-five goals, or close, <laughs> close to that. That sounds like secondary scoring to me. Yeah. Now, if they'd at at that very point, if they had left him with that second goal, he would have been on pace for close to thirty. He's already got ten. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Nico oh, has twelve. I was gonna say who's the next? Probably Landeskog. Yeah, it's it's Ranton and twelve, Landeskog seventeen, and then McKinnon, who of course hit twenty this week. Yeah. Which is cool. It's nice to have a 20 goal score already. Yeah. This time next week, the Avs could have two 50 point scores. <laughs> <laughs> it's just absurd. It is crazy. I mean, we're just not even talking about it anymore because it's just, it's just normal. Normalcy for us. Yeah, same old. More, more stars. Let's go. Uh, I'll yeah. say Calvert. I, I think he's 
<laughs> I know, I know. Calvin gets a star yeah. for, for pissing off the Red Wings bench. He he's been he has been decent lately. He's been, you know, he's never going to score. Like that's just, or he's going to get the the fluke ones. But we've beat up on him enough that I think he he gets a little credit for. You know, being better with the puck and... Is this a star on a curve? No! Because somebody else on that line did have two goals this week. Yeah, Nieto. I, I'd i say it's fair <coughs> for him to have one, too. I mean, well, Calvert's never going to earn a star by scoring goals, right? There's some guys that are never going to earn it that way. Yeah, I was, I was gonna actually go for Matt Nieto. So, gee, we're we're just gonna love on <laughs> Carl's line today this week. Um, you know, it's I I think people have it in the back of their mind that that Matt Nieto is still the guy that was awful in the first three weeks of the season, but he's not been. He's been very good lately, actually. That goal he um, scored, I think, was that the Florida goal. That might be a career highlight goal. That that was pretty incredible. The one where he busted through. Um, two guys on the defense, and yeah, <clears throat> I think it was Pittsburgh actually. But um, you know, he he's had a good week, and he's I, I think he's really turned it around from you know when he got demoted to the fourth line, and but he did. You know, I, I don't think that was necessarily a bad thing when he was no, there. I, and I, I yeah, I mean, I, I it, it looked bad from the outside, but in, in reality, I think the coach was trying to bolster that line for, for Kamenev and um, you know, try to try to make that a viable line that he could play more. And I, you know, it did its job, but um, I, I think that, that he and Carl together make that a, a solid line. And, you know, Calvert is who he is. I'm obviously not a fan, but um, you know, those two are, are beginning to, really rack up some offense to make that, you know, a two-way line and <clears throat> you know, you, you don't want to see them getting second line minutes and and I I think that JB is is trying not to do that as much as possible. Uh which is nice, but you know, it, it's good to see some production and you know, those two really have been ca- carrying the load there. Okay, I'll change my start to more of a crowd pleasing choice. No, you can keep it, Matt Calvert. No, no, Comfort. Comfort deserves one, too. He probably does, yeah. He's been pretty effective this week. That tip on Landeskog shot for the goal was... That that was. That was nice. Very choice. And that was to take the lead in Florida, so... Game-winning goal? That that was goal, then. JT Clutch. Yeah, he's got a lot of Clutch 60. He does. He does still shoot at the goalie and miss a lot, but yeah, he. he... (laughs) (laughs) If he shoots at the goalie and misses, then half the time that's going in the net. So I'm happy with it. Yeah. But yeah, he's certainly dialed up uh, a few big goals lately. One thing, one one thing that about Comfort that I'd like to bring up would be, what do you think of sort of the. The swapping back and forth of Kerfoot and that, Comfort. That's been kind of weird. I, I, I don't, don't like think... It. it stinks. I don't like it either. I, I don't think that's helped either line. No. Or either and player. I understand, 
I understand no. that neither of them really should be on the fourth line. So it's more like trying to get both of them on the second line or whatever you want to call that line. It, that's always kind of like the second line in theory. <laughs> right. In reality. Se- we'll call it the second scoring line. But <laughs> yeah. they are, you know, it, there is evidence that they try to use that, this, you know, the second most amount of time. And it, it was, we didn't really get into it, but it was interesting kind of the choices they did in that Florida game to get a little bit more offense kickstarted, which was a great, it was a great decision at the time because it, it did get them two goals and they won the game. I don't know if it's anything that they're, they went right back to the regular the next game. So it certainly wasn't something they were thinking about long term, but getting Comfer with McKinnon and Landeskog was, was a good choice, especially since Comfer was skating pretty well in that game. And then Wilson with Soderberg actually is what should have given Carl that goal, which somehow bounced off Nieto when he was laying in the net. So <laughs> yeah, that became his oh. goal. But they gave him so, a goal for being from Long Beach. Or that he they was did. in the net, so like literally, right? And he um, pointed at Carl like that that was you, not me, you. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Score, that was Carl. I wish they would change it back because <laughs> then Sam Carl. would have a point. <laughs> so Sam got ripped off of a point on that, and also on when Nemeth goal that Ranton tipped it, so he got ripped off on a point for that too. So remember that when it's like Sam hasn't scored any points lately, but um, he has a tertiary assist. Yeah, they were. They were I mean, I, too. I I think that when Comfer is with Jost and Wilson, that they just miss the tipping point for enough skill to score con- in any kind of consistent manner. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's really tough. And I know that Kerfoot is very frustrating at times in the defensive zone and in the neutral zone. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, I, I, I know that, that he's fairly stubborn with the way he plays as well. And, and that kind of gets JB angry sometimes. But I, I just, I really think if you're going to make that your second scoring line and you want Joe's to be productive and Wilson to be able to be productive, that, that Comfer really isn't that guy to be the catalyst between those three. I still wonder and, why Comfer can't play on the Soderberg line. Right. When and, they and, did and, the mix-up, they put Wilson on that line, and it was good, and it right. was nice to see a little bit more skill with Carl, and surprise, surprise, a goal happened, but... Why why can't Comfer go on that line? It seems like such an obvious way for Bednar to keep kind of that defensive, I don't want to say shutdown line, but what trustworthy line, you could say. And necessarily like the defensive wizard that I think the perception is of him out there. But if any of the younger guys could fit on that line. He is certainly the best fit. And I think they need to move towards that to be able to give all these young guys a role moving forward on the team. Like not everybody can be on the quote unquote second line. Then the other option is the fourth line, which is certainly has its limitations. Like it seems like to be a balanced team moving forward and to be able to give all these guys roles. Why 
is it that nobody under the age of 25 can play with Soderbergh? Yeah. The art line. No, I just, I, you know, the, I think when you look at the, the lineup, like, you know, I, I think you need Kerfoot with with Jost and, and Willie. With skill. He needs to be with skill. Kerfoot is a right. skill enabler. He, in, on the fourth line, he's really wasted. Because right. all, all the goal scoring is playing on at other times, and he's also kind of awful at that sort of grindy cycling game. And when they start getting forechecked, because the other team is surprise, surprise, matching their better scores against the fourth line of the Avalanche, he really struggles with that deep forecheck situation and throws the puck out in front of the net and you scream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's just not a solution, so... They just need to keep the Jost, Kerfoot, Wilson line together and work from there. It's just, it's not going to, yeah, like you said, you're not going to get anything from Kerfoot on the fourth line, ever. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get anything out of Jost and Wilson if you put Comfer there. And that's no yeah. slate against Comfer, but it's just... He's not a second line player. No. Well, it's just he, he's a sixth man like in basketball, if you know what that means. It's it's a guy that comes off the bench and just brings a different energy. It's like you can play Comfer anywhere in the lineup at any time and sort of give them that boost. And it, Bednar's been pretty good about the last 10 days or so, 10 games or so, is sort of bringing Comfer in when a, a line needs a little bit of change up. And I like that too. <clears throat> I like how they put him with. McKinnon and Landeskog and they created a goal too but yeah no I totally agree with you on that like put him on a higher line when he's he's really skating and he's got the energy and he can spark that line but you're not just going to put him on that line forever no right that's why I think it's fine to start him on the fourth line like I'd you know I would love for him to take Calvert's place on the third line you know I think that'd be a great idea that's the dream Right, but it's not going to happen, you know. They just, you know, Matt Calvert was the babysitter, and, and Comfort was not. So, he loses. but if you if you start JT on the fourth line, that makes that line viable, no matter who's on it. You know, it's like if it's Andrew Ghetto and Bork, okay. You know, it's like you can work with that. If it's Andrew Ghetto uh, and Kerfoot, then that's fine. Reunited with uh, Greer, they had chemistry in San Antonio. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like you know, you can put Comfort with. You know, any of the guys that we see rotating into the fourth line and you know that's going to work out great and you can always you know put him in Wilson's place or Kerfoot's place on the second line and spot shift him that way or even you know maybe put him with Calvert's place on Carl's line once in a while or... well, let's not get crazy I know well, do that once in a while try that right yeah um so you know, but I, I do like that sixth man concept for Comfer, where he's, you know you, you're not planning on playing him a ton during each game, but if you need to, you've got that, and, and you can put him where you need him rather than sort of laying it out like, oh well, we're just going to force Comfer to be a, a scoring center, be you know yeah. our, our depth scorers. So we've already spent like ten minutes of air time scratching Ian Cole. <laughs> who else have you got this week oh there's a few um I'm gonna say Andrew Ghetto though uh he's literally been scratched and I, it's not because he did anything awful so this isn't like a cold scratch where it's performance based I wouldn't say he's done anything wrong but it's just 
more and more it seems like he doesn't have a role on this team and maybe he will with Kamenev out now but he's not really fourth line guy either and he doesn't fit on that second line and they're never gonna so they're never gonna what play him with Soderberg so it's too young it's that, that too so where does he really fit and he hasn't really done much in the minutes he's got which you would also say if if he doesn't get a lot of minutes you're not going to get much out of him which is fair too not like he's been put in a great position to do anything but I can't, I can't even tell you right now the games that he did play this week. He's in the yak zone. That That's yeah. not unfair. I, you know, I, I've been calling actually for a little while for, for the ass to look for a trade with, with Sven just because <clears throat> he's obviously not what they want. Um, and, and generally the ass don't, they only trade guys that they really don't want anymore. Um, <laughs> So, so he actually might be a guy that they would actually think about trading. Maybe so. So they need to hold uh, on to him because if you if they get like five injuries at forward, then they actually would have to call up like two people, and that would be horrifying <laughs> for them. I mean, I just you know I I I see them finagling the lineup rather than using Sven on you know, the the second scoring line. But right, he basically needs, like, Jost to go out again. Yeah, but I just, I don't see, I don't think, I don't think Bednar likes him enough to want him in that role. You know, it's like, he's tried that a couple times, like, I, I think Wilson missed a game for something a little while ago, and they put Sven on that line, and it was awful. You know, it's it's it, too it, it's too small. It's I forget what game I I agree with you. I forget what game that was exactly, but it was against a bigger team. I don't know was that Winnipeg or something. It was just way it was too small. It's got run over. He, he doesn't like, and I agree. But then it's just the places where you can put him are so limited at this point. And it is funny, like when he was injured, it was like, boy, we miss Fen so much. We miss his skill, his his shooting ability, generate shots a lot. And then he comes back, and then it's just like, why do we? What would yeah. you say you do here? Yeah, <laughs> and that yeah, uh, that's I mean, becoming it, the problem. And that's the thing, like it, you know, if I'm Jared Bednar, I'm going to Joe, and it's like, look, I know this guy's skilled. I just I don't have a place for him, and and he's just not fitting in with what we're trying to do here. Um, so it's like you know, I don't think they'd ever trade him for like a fourth or a sixth or whatever you know, he would get on the open market. Um, no, he's the but, kind of player that it gets either packaged or swapped for another change of scenery player. Basically, right, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they could find another change of scenery player. Like, I mean, I, you know, I don't think that much of Nikita Sherback, but, you know, it's like maybe they could have traded Sven for Sherback. I don't know if the Habs would want him back, but, you know, I mean, just sort of that kind of thing. And the other <clears> thing <throat> is that they have appropriate call-ups this year, at least at forward. Like, they have to use... They have Greer and Dries, and if they had to use O'Connor, wouldn't even be that bad. Plus, they need to look at Cout at some point. So they are a few deep where they could actually move him and still have depth, as you could say. 
Well, I think they they'd probably want him for they'd probably want to move him for something for somebody that would be on the roster. You know, it might be just as marginal. I mean, it might might be you know Marco Dano all over again, but I I think it would be, you know, they, they would probably look for a guy <clears throat> that's what they what they thought they were getting when they claimed Dano. You know, I mean, a, a guy that's sort of defensively sound can play a fourth line grinder role, and maybe isn't so dependent on others for being able to produce offense. Uh, but I think they have that. They have that internally, like I said. They have all those guys. They can I know use they and do, play. but they probably don't want to use them because they haven't. So, <laughs> yeah, If they were going to do that, they would have done it by now. I'm living in the land of is, not the land of is here. I, mean, I, just, I think they would probably want, you know, something like Sven, but defensively grinding. I, I think they totally would have traded something for Dano, too. Yeah. They may have tried. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <clears throat> One more on the scratch list. I'm going to, I'm going to, it pains me to say it, but Varley had two really bad games this week. Um, and I know Our, that we've gone over myriad reasons why Ian Cole was awful and the defense was not really hooking him up. But, you know, that's a lot of goals in two games. 13. Yeah. Are you pulling out your data? Or, or is it uh, time to get worried about Varlamov? No, I'm not worried about it. I mean, again, you know, we, we've explained in detail that there was plenty going on there, but it's just, you know, there were a couple of softies thrown in there, too. Also, he did have a shutout. Also, before we get yelled at, no, I know it wasn't 13 goals. Grubauer gave up a couple of those. Yeah. Um, um, but I'm totally with you on here, because I mean, as, as much as we've looked at, boy, it's been a rough week for Ian Cole. It Every mistake cannot go in the back of the net. Right. And it just, you know, I, I think it's more luck than anything else with, with a lot of that. Or, you know, it, it's not of his own creation that, that he gave up so many goals in those two games, but it it happened and it has to be documented. Yeah, and, and he's he's talented enough for more saves to be of his creation in that situation, which is one of the more awkward sentences I've said tonight, but you forced that <laughs> on me, so thanks a lot. Um, but like, I, I can just... agree that Grubauer probably gets the check mark this week, but I don't think it's hardly any anywhere near enough to start saying, well, maybe Grubauer is going to get no. the majority of the start. No, Grubauer's been definitely the beneficiary of some variants this season where he's got like the most goal support per game in the league. Yeah, and it's, you know, some of that's quality of of competition too, and some of it's um, just sheer dumb luck. Right, they play better in front of him. No, they don't. They they like him more. <laughs> <laughs> he's German. He's friendly. Where's Lederhosen? Then <laughs> <laughs> um, they're going to need uh, both with their marathon schedule coming up. Yeah, right. the The schedule so, this week is. Not that bad, and unless except for when you take next week, also into consideration, things get a little bit rough. And they've got three games coming up this week: two at home. One of those is the back half of a back-to-back with travel. On Tuesday, Colorado are back at home for a seven o'clock Mountain start against the Edmonton Oilers, which is you know two days off before and two days off after. Very welcome. 
Then on Friday, they travel to St. Louis for a 6 o'clock Mountain Start with a Garbage Blues, and then come straight back home to wrap up the week at 7 o'clock on Saturday against the Dallas Stars again. Except this time, the Stars will be in Denver waiting for them. Thanks, scheduler. Appreciate that. <laughs> then they have one day off. Then they have a home game. Then they have one day off. Then they have a home game. Then they have one day off. Then they have a home game. Then they have a road game. And then they have four days off for Christmas. So we're about to see six games in nine days with four of them back to back. We'll see I, who's alive at Christmas. I, I I do think that just based off of last night's performance, that that you know having today completely off. And having a good practice tomorrow before facing the, the new look Oilers with Ken Hitchcock and Captain Kangaroo defense. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's going to be good. And, and having two days off after that, I, I just, you know, it, it looked like it looked like they were kind of out of gas against Tampa. And, you know, it's like they're pro athletes. They shouldn't be. It was at sea level. They should have been on top of it. But it, I, it just... Yeah, it, it, does. it just looked like a team that had played a shitload of games lately and just needed, you know, a little more rest than they were getting. I understand that they're going to play back-to-backs as everyone does, but does it have to be with division opponents? Does, that, does it have to be a back-to-back with travel into a division opponent that is not playing under the same circumstances? That's where I'm frustrated. Yeah. Because we did this with Dallas earlier in the season, and they were also traveling that day. It was a it was a sludge game, whatever. This is different. <laughs> At least they're traveling back a time zone, and Dallas does play on Thursday at uh, ten thirty Eastern, so they may technically be on a back to back if you think about it too hard. <laughs> they're playing in San and Jose seen- on Thursday. And we've actually seen teams spend the night in the cities where they play and travel the next day a lot more this year. I've, I've been noticing. Yeah. The Avs, I think three times have waited yeah. to the next day right. instead of tra- traveling where they would have gotten in late. So it is an interesting strategy to see how they're. Cause that, I mean, if you think about like rest being a weapon, like we always say, it <laughs> makes a lot of sense to you know, if you're if you're in a situation like that, to go back to the hotel, sleep, then get on a plane in the morning, um, and do your video session on the plane. Right, and, and I mean, it just it, it's a lot. It gives you a lot more flexibility, and I, I just I think sleeping in a bed rather than trying to catch some Z's on the plane um, is a much better plan for using rest as a weapon. Especially if you're going east and losing time. So this week we've got Edmonton and Dallas at home, St. Louis on the road. Um, Not the best competition in the world, although St. Louis is definitely some abs kryptonite. What have you got? Four points. I I like the two-thirds kind of. Just keep keep going, two-thirds each week and they'll be in a good spot. I think you you got to you got to beat Edmonton at home. Even though usually the first home game after a road trips tough, but it's not like they have home stands or anything. So they, they got to win, win that one and you got to split with Ideally you beat Dallas cuz they're the one that are is the challenge in the 
standings right now. You gotta be St. Louis. I don't know. I, I never I never go for loser points, but I just have a feeling this is gonna be a five point week. I think <clears throat> I, I think it's really possible they they end up with a loser point against Edmund. I'll say they probably don't beat Dallas because they just beat them a couple weeks ago. They're so bad, though. I mean, they're good enough. They're not that bad. They're they're, they're not Chicago. They're abs-ish. They just I don't. I mean, we we've had their number for many years, other than that one year that we don't talk about. <laughs> even, oh, but we do. Even that year. <laughs> even that year. <laughs> As, as I know we don't as, have Matt Duchesne anymore, but we still do have Varley. Yeah, as long as you have Varley and Matt Duchesne, you have the Stars number. Yeah. Um, I think this could really be a six-point week. Um, yeah, I mean, I really do, too. <laughs> if if there's a game that gets lost, it's the one in St. Louis for me, because, again, the, the Blues just play a style that does not suit the Avalanche. And as the year goes on, we've seen more and more physicality being allowed, and fewer and fewer penalties being called, except for the dumb, lazy, stick-in-the-hands penalties, which your Colorado Avalanche seem to have a just love to do. Um, so the St. Louis game is... A, it's also, you know, at St. Louis has been a tough ask for the Avs since the last several years. So if, if there's one that I would expect a loss on, it's more that one than even the schedule loss. Um, definitely, like, if, like even though you're... You know, you're playing at home. It is still kind of a schedule loss situation, and but even then, I really do like the abs against the stars in that game. I think that six points is very much possible. Let's go do it. They'll probably lose against Edmonton to piss me off because I'll be there. <laughs> also, I, I'm just I'm confident against St. Louis because I, I don't know if they ended up getting Brazil, but they were down six one to Vancouver after two periods today, and it just. They just look like a terrible team. I think the Avs are going to feel like they have some unfinished business against St. Louis because I think they know that that game got stupid on them and that they know yeah. they deserve a better outcome than what they played to in that game. Um, yeah. St. Louis did not get to catch the Brazil. They fell 6-1. Winnipeg put up their Brazil on, on Philadelphia, though. On Philadelphia yeah, I saw that. And the Shooter Tutors. <laughs> that, <laughs> I forget who was in goalie for for Philly today, but they were terrible. Maybe one day I the Flyers will have a goalie. <laughs> Carter Hart? Car Carter Hart for Hart. Maybe one day. Uh, whether it's four, five, six points, or zero, or eight through magic powers, you know you can find out here. You can catch the latest episodes on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Radio. Um, I'm having a little bit of an issue with Mixcloud right now. If I still can't get shows to upload this week, I'm going to have to see if I can figure out what's up with that. Um, every episode is posted on burgundyrainbow.com, which also has a link to the Discord where you can come in and talk Avs hockey all day long. Um, three games, one back-to-back. -back, pretty normal week for the Avs right now. And uh, we'll hopefully come out on the other side of it with, uh, with you know, a better standings position than we came in with. So keep your head up into the dirty areas and we will see you next week. Yeah, there's escalators that 
no handrails and make you feel like you're going to fall off. Yeah. The airport in Phoenix is awful. It is. terrible. I hope I never have to go there. It's, t- <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> An escalator with no handrail. <laughs> no, it's just really low and you feel like you know it's supposed to be avant-garde when it first opened up but it why would you want an avant-garde escalator i don't know what it's the sky harbor like it's not an airport it's a sky harbor i want my moving stairs to be safe practical functional I don't want them to throw me on my face because you thought the handrails would look better if they were small no they've they have handrails are just clear. What? Yeah. You, you just have to go there. Yeah. No, is. I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to go to Phoenix to see them, so... The fewer airports yeah. I spend time in, the better. Yeah. 